I'm Steven. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. And at this point, we have watched 61 motherfucking horror movies on Netflix. And most of them have been terrible. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, I hesitate to use the word terrible. Most of them have been trying. And I yes. find it amazing that we are still here today. After 60 movies, we had the energy to watch one more. We're trying to. Yeah, we're trying. I mean, there there certainly have been some terrible ones. That's fair. But also some surprising ones and individual positive surprises within films. But yeah, the journey does get a little trying at times. It does, but it's nice when we can take a little little vacation from the tropes that we're used to and, and travel to other, other countries, mm-hmm. attempt to learn other languages by occasionally turning the subtitles off and seeing if you can understand what's going on. <laughs> Um, or just listening to the fucking dub of the movie. Did you guys have... Uh, Mine started with the dub, but yeah. it's because I've been watching Mindhunter with the subtitles on because oh. I'm an old woman, apparently. Uh, this week we watched, uh, this was my selection, Under the Shadow. Yes. 2016 film set in Iran. I don't believe it was filmed there, though. No. It's a co-production between Jordan Cutter and the United Kingdom, and mm. it's in Persian. I, I think it is produced and stars at least to some extent iranian born talent but it was filmed around the world in countries such as jordan um i don't know if it's possible to go to iran and make a movie that's as critical of iran as this movie is Mm, that's a good point but it starts at least if you leave the default netflix settings on with a terrible English dub, so please make sure, unless you're into that sort of thing, that you change your subtitles to that you change it to English subtitles rather than just listening to the dub. Because I'm bad at reading lips, and yet in the opening minutes of this film, I was like, something's not right. This shouldn't because I wasn't sure if it was in English or not, and I was just like, this looks and sounds really weird. And I was like, oh, it's a dub. Yeah, it took me five seconds, but it was so bad that I watched a couple of minutes of it just because <laughs> I was really enjoying bad. it. It's like the voice of our of our heroine in this movie is like seems to be the voice of someone ten years younger than the actress. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, are there any good dubs? There probably are. I wish I'd prepared some some notes and research for this conversation, but I'm sure there might be some good dubs out there. This is just another example of of Netflix's total abdication of film curation duty in that most people who turn on this movie probably are never going to go into their settings and set this to the original language with, with subtitles because they probably don't even know it's an option. Well, no. So I it's, this isn't Shutter, Chris. It, I, I watched this. I heard the dub. I said I got I got to change this as quickly as possible. It is interesting that that's the default setting, though, or, yeah. or it would seem to be. And it's not like that on every movie either. No, I thought it was just because, as I mentioned, like I've been watching a show with with subtitles on English subtitles, mm. uh, and I just thought to, maybe Netflix was like catching on to me and thought that this might be the way I prefer to watch it. Just to brush up on your English a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Just so that if you miss anything in the spoken dialogue, you can see it on the screen, kind of match up the words. No, I watch movies and shows very, very late at night, and I like to keep the volume low so I don't upset my neighbors oh, so i turn oh, the subtitles that's courteous on. of you it Thoughtful. is See, we, we, horror, good, we horror nerds aren't all bad you should just get some good cans man some good headphones 
Yeah. Does Toby listen to the audio or does he read the subtitles? This is the big question. I'll have to ask him, actually. Okay. Please. Does Toby watch TV? Because most cats don't. You know what? It's funny that you asked that. He doesn't usually, but there were a couple moments during this where he like would walk by me and like stop and stare at the screen for like five minutes and then walk away. I've never seen him do it before. Well, he wasn't staring at the screen. He was staring at the gin in front of the screen. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> uh, well, what made you pick this movie, Stephen? I think you talked a little bit about that on the last episode, but it's been mentioned on uh, the Shockwaves podcast a number of times over the past few years, and and. Different hosts have brought it up, like, oh, hey, remember that, or this reminds me of Under the Shadow. So it's just been kind of like lodged in my mind, and then I just realized it was on Netflix. Also, it came to my mind recently because I've been reading this book of short stories called Wounds by Nathan Nathan Ballingrid, who's a New Orleans-based horror writer. And the director of this movie made a movie starring Army Hammer. It's an adaptation of one of those stories, and it sounds really fucking wild. And I didn't think it was going to get released. And I was just like, I IMDb'd it again to see if it had a release date. It didn't. And then I saw Under the Shadow listed as the director's only other credit. So I thought, let's let's check that out. And, lo, and lo and behold, two days ago, uh, the movie Wounds was announced uh, to that it's going to premiere on Hulu next month. That's the Army Hammer one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that will be this director's American debut. Nice. So, Under the Shadow, what the hell kind of movie are we dealing with? I've, wait, I, f- I feel like before we really get into this movie, we're in, like, peak spooky season right now. Yes. I know Patrick and I have been watching a lot of horror stuff. I don't know about you, Chris, but maybe we should, br- you know, do you want to briefly talk about what we've been Dude, watching? I just want to talk about spooky season in general because I wanted to get a fucking jump on it this year. Like, usually I kind of wait until October before I start going fucking nuts on watching horror movies. And this year I was like, let's start early. I mean, because obviously I watch horror movies all year round, but I like that concentrated period where I just go nuts and watch a shit load of them so i got an early start on it and at least here where we live in michigan it's been warm and not quite fall but like today it's been gray it's been gloomy it's been cold outside it's been raining which i hate all those things but also i'm like oh spooky season has fully kicked in it has arrived so i sat down and watched uh david cronenberg's rabid on shutter today before you guys came over which was good times you know i mean i saw an asshole grow inside of an armpit and then a like little phallic stinger thingy came out of it and punctured somebody in the side why would you want to watch that it was great body horror man body horror my body is enough horror (laughs) there can always be more body horror is maybe my favorite genre of horror bold statement but i'll have to i'll have to think about that i mean is it most horror body horror no. Like, I feel like there's psychological horror and then everything else involves, like, weird shit happening to your body or the child that came out of your body or your limbs are getting hacked off. Well, limbs getting hacked off is not body horror, though. That's that's slasher or, or gore or torture porn most of the time. I mean, body horror is more about, like, just weird fucking orifices opening up on your body. And is that the official definition of the genre? I think hmm. that's the official definition okay. in the dictionary of horror. But yeah, what else did we watch this week? We watched the first episode of Creep Show this week on Shutter. Yeah, Greg Nicotero's Creep Show series, and it was half pretty good yeah. and half meh. Agree. Yeah, I still need to see all this shit. I've I've been pretty derelict with watching some horror stuff. I, and I really haven't watched anything. I mean, we're just getting into October now, but I haven't really watched anything spooky recently. Uh, a few weeks ago, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Yes. I've was, been wanting to rewatch that. That was fun. Yeah, why not? How did you... 
Wait, which Nightmare movies have you seen? I've seen the original. I've seen Nightmare 2. I've seen Dream Warriors. I've seen New Nightmare. And I've seen Freddy vs. Jason. Okay, so you've basically seen all the essential ones, yeah. in my opinion. How would you rank them? I don't know if I can. I, I would have to say, of the ones I've seen, probably Night, the original is the best. Mm. Then uh, New Nightmare. Then mm. Dream Warriors. Mm. Then... Uh, maybe a tie between Nightmare 2 and Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> Nightmare 2 is way too low on the list. Yeah. I saw uh, Dream Warriors for the first time last year and I loved it. I mean, the original Nightmare holds such a special place in my heart because it's literally one of my favorite movies of all time, period, not just horror movies. But I saw Dream Warriors and I was like, this is a blast. This might be my favorite of the franchise. And Steve and I have been meaning to rewatch Nightmare 2 because I know that movie is wild, but it's been a few years since I've seen it and I want to get back to it. It's on Shutter. Uh, no, they, I own it. I think they oh, all you have the box. I own the they're blue all off box of Shutter set. now. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they left Shutter, but but he does have the Blu-ray box set, which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what else? We've been having weekly movie horror nights. Uh, Chris yes. hasn't been to one yet. I hope he can attend soon, but it happens to be the night that he does jujitsu. Yeah. Believe. Um, but we did it on thir- we did it on Thursday this week, and you still didn't show up, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, I was public, watching. I was watching public this service movie. announcement. Chris is a badass. I was watching this movie last night. Oh, okay, yeah. that's fair. You had to do your homework. I had to do my homework. oh, under the shadow. You mean yeah? yeah. But we what did we watch so far? Uh, Tigers are not afraid. Yes. which I'd watched like the night before you guys did, and I caught the ending again. Mm-hmm. That was much hyped movie that's kind of come out a couple years ago i did not like it a girl walks home alone at night a movie that you had also seen and then came in for the tail end of i know i had to watch 45 more minutes of it yeah it was more than the tail end uh that i loved um another feminist pseudo iranian film mm-hmm. uh hello mary lou prom night 2 which oh. i've been trying to get more people to watch for a very long a time blast. and it's so fun um and well yeah Watch that movie and also listen to the episode about it from one of our favorite podcasts. How did this get made? Mm-hmm. A girl walks home alone at night, though. Highly recommended. The Tigers are not afraid. It was fine. Well, what the hell did we watch this week? Well, we already told you what we watched this week. We watched <laughs> Under the Shadow. This That's is a my attempt to segue. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you know, it's, it's good. It's Chris good. gets Chris it's gets anxious enough. when we talk about things other than the main movie. Oh for no. Too long. No, I mean, he, we're talking about movies he hasn't seen. We're talking about movies our listeners probably haven't seen. So this is a really this is a really interesting movie. It's um, set in the final year of the Iran-Iraq War. It's 1988. Is it really? I don't think it is. Because I, 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 for some reason, I was under that same impression. And I don't know why. But when... Well, you, this you is the, what I read on Wikipedia. All right. But in the, <laughs> actually, in the movie, in the first scene of the movie, they talk about how the uh, revolution was like four or five years ago. Oh, you're right. I was a little confused about the timeline. Yeah. So, so that would put this in the, in the mid-80s. So can I make a confession? I didn't know there was an Iran-Iraq war until I watched this movie. I did, but I didn't really know anything other than the fact that there was one. What? It's like the longest... Of, it, it said it's the. It lasted like eight years or something. It was the, the longest, longest armed war conflict or something. of the 20th century. Wait, the, wait, can you repeat that? It said it was something about like the longest war of the 20th century oh, or something okay. like that. Which I'm not sure how long Vietnam was or if they're counting Vietnam in the same way. Yeah, that know. didn't seem quite right to me because isn't it? Wasn't it eight years? Something like that. But I feel like Vietnam was longer and other. I mean, it doesn't. Maybe, matter, maybe the same. Well, Vietnam was a conflict. I don't know. Yeah, but it was a long war, longer than you'd want a war to be. Well, That's yeah. for sure. Um, and I knew that it was a war just because I knew that at one point we were f- the United States was friends with Iraq because they were fighting Iran. Um, but I did brush up a little bit afterwards. And, you know, you don't need to know what the Iran-Iraq war was to appreciate the movie. 
I mean, one of the biggest, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is kind of shooting my wad too early, but one of the biggest takeaways for me from this movie was just, I don't know, it really drove home the reality of war for me in a way that I hadn't thought about, at least not for a while. I was just like, fuck, like, can you imagine just like trying to live your everyday life and, you know, bombs are falling They're around your house bombs. on a regular basis. They might hit your house. You know? Then they may or may not explode, apparently. Yeah. That was tense as hell. The basic premise of the movie is we have a family that lives in Tehran. I'm pretty sure it's Tehran or a suburb of Tehran. It's, it's Tehran. And we have a woman named Sheeta, and she lives with her husband, who's a doctor, and their daughter, whose name is... Dorsa. Dorsa. The husband is a doctor, and he goes off to be a medic for the army, kind of on the front lines. Yeah. They're left alone in the house as Iraq's shelling campaign of the city heightens. And so they're worried about the bombs, and they are worried about paranormal forces that start to seep into the house as the military conflict escalates. Yeah, and it's a short movie. I mean, it's like slightly under 90 minutes. But but it's still a slow burn. There's a lot of interpersonal conflict that like gradually devolves into potential supernatural conflict. Yes. Like we open the movie with uh, Sheeta is being uh, basically kicked out of college. She wants to become a doctor like her husband, but apparently she was a little too active uh, during the the revolution in Iran. So she's got to go. And then so she's even more upset with her husband that he's going off to be a hero in the war because she yeah. wants to be like him. So she gets rid of all of her fucking textbooks. And she's just like left at home with her daughter, like feeling the feminine equivalent of emasculated. Whatever yeah. Well, and her husband is not the most supportive person, let's say. That's true. He's a fucking asshole. He's, he's quite a bit more straight laced. Um, and she really had her heart set on going back to medical school, I guess. But she's also, you know, uh, uh, very liberal. And yes, she is. She was apparently a left-wing activist during the revolution, which is why she's not allowed to participate in society now. Right. And she's like, she's very liberal to the point that, like, you know, she doesn't... There's, there's a lot of scenes of her just, like, in casual dress around the house. Like, she yeah. has a contraband VCR and works out to Jane Fonda. But when, like, the landlord comes to the door, she has to throw on a scarf right. very quickly to run to the door. Right. Um well, although, I mean, honestly, that is common in Arab or Arab American life. Like, I mean, if you're just around at home, you don't have a hijab on. No, but yes. she's like not a woman of, of faith at all, at all, it seems. It seems like she's very much a skeptic yes. or a non-believer. And, but she's trying to conform, like, at least like as minimally as possible to get by and not to create any more conflict yeah. in her life. She's skirting the rules as much as she can. And I think even there's only two other families in the apartment building and they're kind of farther along on the spectrum of, of conservatism. I think mm-hmm. if you look at the way they behave and the way that they dress versus the way our hero uh, behaves mm-hmm. and, and in fact the landlord says very early on in the movie that Sheeta is the only woman in the apartment who drives for example oh that's right you know? yeah yeah the, like the garage door is left unlocked and it, yeah. and it must be her right there's a lot of um, yeah a lot of uh, um, terrible treatment or like subtly terrible treatment of women in this movie yeah just I mean the treatment you would expect in a theocracy in, you know, mm-hmm. in iran that that said i'm not sure i was trying the, and i may have been trying too hard to discern the politics of this movie and i'll get into this some more in the spoiler room but even beyond the message of you know war is hell and everything i'm not sure if this is necessarily trying to be a political movie 
I, I, you know what? I was gonna do some soul searching and, and also some research and, and try and figure out how I felt about that. And I just never got around to it. So I'm curious when we get down to the spoiler room to hear what you have to say. I mean, I would assume that at least to Iranian audiences, it's fairly radical. I'm sure you, I mean, obviously there's a reason that this movie was not made in Iran. I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it has some, it, it builds sympathy for our hero who is persecuted by the theocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that alone would be disqualifying mm-hmm. in Iran. Other than that, though, I'm not I'm not really sure what it's trying to say. Um, I don't I don't know. I, I, I like I said, I, I, I'm sure it's a political movie. I was just trying the the message beyond some general things about war um, eluded me. And I think it may be trying to just say some things about war and family and some other stuff that I'll get into later, um, as opposed to really being a movie about the political climate of Iran then or now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's theme or thesis statement is particularly complex, but I think it's definitely a middle finger to that political climate and in Iran. And, and that's said though, I think it's impossible to make a movie about this subject matter about a Middle Eastern family living in perpetual fear that a bomb's going to fall on them without being conscious of the parallels to the modern day. And when you have a hero who's watching workout tapes starring Jane Fonda, of all possible workout tape stars, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a deliberate commentary on America or possibly I don't know it may well I'll talk more about I don't know if this movie actually has sympathy for our hero as a left-wing ideologue Hmm. really yes we will talk about that later my response to that is also really but I'm curious to hear more we'll talk about so I don't know if Jane Fonda is in this movie to kind of satirize Sheeta or if Jane Fonda is in this movie to make a comment on American military. I don't know. We'll get into it later. We'll That's fascinating. That. I hadn't even thought about the fact that Jane yeah. Fonda being in this is a little bit loaded. Yeah. And uh, also, I just thought it's the eighties and she's working out and shutting the blinds so she can tune out the bombs in the background. Right. Well, that, that's what I it mean, is at, at, on the surface, on the surface. Yeah. And also I thought it was quaint when you see the title card at the beginning of this movie and it says, you know, this is an eight year war is the longest war in the, in the 20th century. Because that just seems so quaint compared to our current campaign in the Middle East, which is, you know, 18 years and counting. Yeah. But is that more of a conflict? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, let's get, let's get back into um, uh, sort of the, the vibe of this movie. So this, this is a movie that takes, it takes a long time becoming a horror movie, which it definitely is. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of... I would challenge that. You would? It's barely a horror movie. There are there are some there are some horror moments, but it's mm. mostly just a drama. And not yeah. and I mean then that's not a knock on it, mm. but it's the the horror elements are fairly minimal. Okay, maybe it's somewhere between drama and horror, which is what we now call apparently even Jordan Peele movies are thrillers. Elevated horror? No, we don't <laughs> I would not call it a thriller either. I think it's a horror movie. I'll go on record and say that. I, I think it's a horror movie, too. It's, it's got fucking supernatural shit going on. There's a lot of, like, psychological dread. Um, there, there, there are a lot of really creepy dream sequences. We know that Sheeta has had a history of, of sleepwalking and having troubled dreams, and there are a lot of... I, I don't even want to call them fake-outs, because after the first one, I feel like the filmmaker, like, knows that you know you're in a 
brief dream sequence. There's a lot of really fucking creepy shit in this, though, that yes. you would not see in a traditional drama. Yes. In Horrifying a, images. In a drama, are you going to see, like, the ghost of a dead man, like, float up and, like, through a, through a hole in the roof <laughs> with the with the drywall closing in around behind him. I don't know. It took a long time. It's at least a half hour, forty five minutes before anything even remotely horrory happens in this movie. I don't know. There's a sense of dread, at least for me, starting very very early on, and not just because of the living being under the shadow of the bombs, but um, the first good scare is kind of funny. Because it's toast coming out of a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? I don't. I do. Or I remember being like, really, a, a toast jump scare. But this is a movie about, like, I mean, this is going to sound kind of cliched, but I got a very, like, Polanski vibe from this movie. Like, this movie is about, like, sort of the hmm. quiet horrors of domestic life. That's as a good much comparison. as it's about anything else. Like, there's a lot of, like, not only Rosemary's Baby, but Repulsion in this movie. They had to be influences on this. I mean, the whole movie takes place in an apartment. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which is why I was like reluctant to be like, oh, it's like Polanski because it's in an apartment and the apartment tells you. But no, I really do think that like the way that he makes us feel uh, not comfortable, but the way that he makes us like familiar with the space, the like the framing and again, like the toast and these little domestic details that you can taste and smell as much as see, that that seems very Polanski. Too. Right. Rem- remind me, what's the toast? Well, the there's toast in a couple scenes, but the first time you see it, there's a lot of bread and a lot of toast. Actually, this movie made me hungry <laughs> and also sleepy because that's a lot of carbs. <laughs> I remember her giving the daughter toast, yeah. but I don't remember it being scary. Dorsa at the be- beginning of the movie starts to hint that she's been seeing things at night, or she's scared to sleep in her bed, or something. And there's kind yeah. of a musical cue that builds up tension, and then there's a hard cut to toast coming out of the toaster. And they just kind of drop that dread in the last scene and spook you. It's a kind of a jump scare where it's just cutting quickly to toast. What wow. is it with toast? There's plastic toast in this movie, too, when they there have is. a little tea party scene. I don't know. And I remember being like, oh, my God, I love, first of all, I love the, the lead actress of the movie. I think she's absolutely amazing. She's yes. wonderful. Her range is incredible. She's so, like, sympathetic, even when she's, like, going out of her fucking mind. But, well, like, the thing that impressed me the most is the way that she so convincingly made it look like she took a bite out of the plastic toast <laughs> to, to entertain her daughter. I thought she was great. Let me, let me make a confession. I watched this movie last night, and then I watched most of it again today. Wow. And she's Why? better the second time. Because I, I felt... Well, I'll get into that. <laughs> you got so much for the spoiler room. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll get into that. This is a movie that left me very satisfied, but kind of with a lot of questions, especially about the kind of intentions of the movie. And I kind of wanted to watch, you know, first time you watch a movie is a flirt, second time's a date. I wanted, it made me curious. I wanted to understand it more. So I, mm. I, I wanted to watch it again as soon as I finished it the first time. And it's a, really? short, and it's a short enough movie that you can almost do that. So. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, so I, I think we can talk about the sort of the main inciting incident of this movie, which we haven't touched on at all, which is yes. there's kind of a horrifying uh, air raid on, on their neighborhood and a huge bomb drops on their apartment building, cracks the, the plaster ceiling of our, our hero's apartment and fully like is just like sitting in the living room of the apartment above them, like this huge fucking bomb am i using the right term there is yeah that a bomb a missile, missile rocket whatever, whatever. yeah cone head and it's just sitting there like it might go off it might not 
very tense scene. They seem it, uh, it was very tense. Like, and I love just like the image of like our protagonists like ceiling cracking too, and like that being just like another detail she has to live with. There's a lot of like putting X's of tape on windows in this, and a lot mm-hmm. of these like little details about like how just like the weird kind of routine maintenance you have to do living in in a in an area like this that's constantly being bombarded. Which which was another interesting thing to me. I don't know. There was some weird. You know, and I think it's uh, just illustrating my own class privilege. But I was like, wow, this seems like a fairly upper class family. Like they're nicely dressed. The dad is a doctor, whatever. Why would their building be getting bombed? You know, and it was very sort of jarring to me to be like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't their building be getting bombed? You know. So the bombs hanging there, and uh, the one of the neighbors has. heart attack he's dying well he has a heart attack but also was it his wife or who was it that starts to infect dorsa with the idea that there might be a gin the little he boy saw a gin before he died is it the little boy there's they get a, it a lot a, of different ways there's a little mute boy who hasn't spoken since what was the his traumatic thing that died. happened to him his yeah parents his parents died in a died. battle and he gives her a ball of he gives dorsa the little girl a ball of cat hair which yeah is supposed to protect her, I think. Great, yeah. Sort of so great to know. It's also You're called a, be- a bezoar. <laughs> Just grab a hairball. Yeah. Pet, go, go pet oh, your cat. Oh, a bezoar, yeah. Yeah. I didn't put that together. I don't know what, what term they use for it in, in Persian, but um, that was fucking creepy. Like, it takes a lot. Uh, um, I don't... Kids are, kids are fucking weird. And there was something about the way that Dorsa told the story about the boy whispering to her and then us learning that he doesn't speak and I was just like god that's so weird like what do little kids talk about when adults aren't around Mm -hmm. like they have got these like very Mm -hmm. malleable brains and they you know believe that their fantasies are real it's like toy story what happens when we when we leave the room yeah but it it, like gradually that scene gave it like legitimately gave me chills I'm like oh my god I, I don't even know if I can if I want to see what this boy looks like I don't even know how to explain it. That just got to me for some reason. Huh. Yeah. Turns out he's really fucking creepy looking. Well, he's not creepy looking, but he's got an intense look. I would not. Which I found creepy. creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's But this. Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy look. Beautiful. Beautiful child. (laughs) (laughs) Gorgeous child. Gorgeous child. The best child. Props to his parents. (laughs) They raised a fine one. But yeah, this, this missile seems to start bringing... An evil presence, a djinn, to the building. It's it's well, the, do, does it or doesn't it? It's does very it much or doesn't it? It's very much. I mean, a film that I could not stop thinking about after about a third of the way through this movie is The Babadook, which is also a film that is about. In that case, I believe she's a widow, right? Yes, mm-hmm. but it's it's about a woman and her very taxing, stress-inducing child just trying to get through day to day in a pretty like unforgiving society and in the babadook it can go either way was it a shared fantasy or did this actually happen you don't really know until the end it almost plays like a parable or a fairy tale and this movie i felt had a very similar vibe is this happening because our protagonist is like there's something about she's slightly psychologically unstable she has you know, troubled sleep, she's sleepwalking and she's going mad because of all the stress and the failure that she's experienced and she's choosing to believe that what the child is saying is true or did it really happen? Was there really a gin? I have no idea. I feel exactly the same way. I watched it and I watched it another half time and 
I still, again, I the 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 director's intentions still elude me a bit, but <laughs> I am I find myself doubting whether or not there was actually paranormal stuff in this movie, or if it was just a metaphor or a shared fantasy or or what. I think it's clearly metaphorical somehow. Yeah. Um. Well, and especially because you know we've talked about how our protagonist is. She's very liberal. She's not. She's a very like logical person. She doesn't really seem to be a very spiritual person. For her to believe that there's actually a jinn, it almost seems like psychologically a convenient way of her dealing with this like very terrifying struggle of not knowing if her husband's alive or not, not understanding her child, not under not being able to process the fact that she can't have the career that she deserves to have, you know, living in a place where bombs are dropping all the time. It seems like it's easier to believe the child's fantasy of this magical, supernatural, uh, oppressive, somewhat malicious and oppressive being being around than to face the day-to-day reality. Like one of the reasons I love horror movies is because I believe um, what Joe Dante has said many times that a monster is a metaphor and that it's a lot easier to process trauma through like an imagined fear than it is to process the actual trauma itself, like the day-to-day grind of living with it. Yeah. That is that was more of a speech than I expected no. it to be. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty profound. And this is a movie I deliberately avoided looking up any interviews or anything that might demystify it for me. Because I think thinking about this movie and deciding what it means to you is a lot of fun. It's been fun for me over the last 24 hours. Um, Clearly, you almost watched it twice in the and, night. And I would not want to spoil that with, you know, a quote-unquote definitive answer to what the djinn were and what they meant and if they're there. One thing it meant to me, I was thinking about haunted house movies. And what's the real terror of living in a haunted house? It's really, I think, the stripping away of the security of your home. Mm. And war like we see in this movie does the same thing so whether it's gin or whether it's your fear that the place is going to get bombed tomorrow you just don't feel safe in your home that's a gin is like something you can potentially negotiate with you can't negotiate with a bomb you can't negotiate <laughs> with saddam from, from your one bedroom apartment <laughs> you know you said you didn't want to spoil and i don't remember what the rest of that sentence was but i i think we should review this because we're getting pretty deep well, hold on oh, okay. before we do that i want to weigh in on this conversation i find it fascinating that you two both had such a uh, uh, complex experience with this film and are still like chewing over what it means I, I had no such qualms about whether it was real or whether it was a figment of their imaginations. I wasn't really thinking about that. I think I mostly took it at face value. And I don't really think it's that original to have, you know, a a, a monster or, or ghost or whatever be a representation of trauma or war. I mean, right. Pan's Labyrinth, you know, I mean, you can name a zillion examples of that trope. And that's not a knock on this film. We're going to get into that in just a second when we all review it. But I, I just, I didn't see as much complexity in it as you two did. And it, it but it is interesting to me hearing you guys talk about the experience. And I've also been it. asking myself why I've been looking for that extra level of complexity and why I believe it's there, even though I don't really understand it. Because we've watched a lot of movies where I get to the end and I'm like, 
I can kind of feel some themes. I don't really know what this means. I think it was poorly executed. This movie, I feel the same way, but I, I don't feel it was poorly executed. I feel like I'm not smart enough. <laughs> really? Yeah. I feel like there's something here. It, it doesn't, I, it's, it's, there's something very deliberate here, and I can't put my finger on it yet, but give me wow. enough time, and I, maybe I can figure it out. See, I, I, this seemed like a very simple movie to yeah. me. And, I, and again, that's not a criticism. It just seemed fairly straightforward. So I don't know why I why I give this movie the benefit of the doubt that I don't give to other movies, or why I don't give those movies the benefit of the doubt. Because it's more convenient to revisit. Short, uh, maybe, <laughs> or, or maybe it's just because the craftsmanship of the movie was so strong throughout, and the characters were so strong throughout that I convinced myself I was watching a good movie where all this stuff would make sense. Hmm. I don't know. You know what? Let's review it, and yeah, we'll it's... we'll get deeper into that after uh, we head down to the spoiler room. I'll go first since I picked this movie. I'm going to give it a view. It. There's no reason not to watch this movie if what you've heard so far sounds intriguing to you because it is really short. I mean, I wouldn't say it's exactly a breeze. It does feel um, kind of the way I felt about Tigers Are Not Afraid. It does feel like a bit long for how how short it is. Uh, it's a little bit... Uh, it's very deliberately paced. But it, it's a fascinating movie, and I'm with Chris. I did feel that there were some things in it. There are a lot of, like, jump scares and stuff that... But somehow they worked. And I couldn't understand why they worked where they don't in, like, a Blumhouse movie. And I think it's because I was really interested in our protagonist i found her to be a really sympathetic engaging character that seemed to have some secrets and i was interested in, in learning more about her and it did it did seem like a very deliberately crafted movie even if i don't know exactly what uh the intended message was it's one that i'll definitely revisit at some point in the future so view it and and I think just for the record, we should note this is like what your sixth view it in our entire. <laughs> oh, I history. thought it was like maybe the third. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I want to jump in on that point about jump scares because uh, I think jump scares maybe get unfairly maligned because there's so many yeah. movies that ride on the jump scares and have little else going for them. Jump scare movies, yeah, or movies that prioritize jump scares at the expense of other things. Like uh, you know, Patrick smirking at me. I'll include Insidious. And, and oh, that. I'm only smirking because I saw Insidious on Netflix earlier today, and I was like, oh, I gotta watch that again soon. Yeah, yeah. So like, Insidious is a movie that definitely uh, is jump scare focused and fine, um, and it's fine. Yeah, and I, I love it. I, we've seen a lot of movies on this show that insidious chapter two jump scared me within an inch of my life like i almost left the theater because i couldn't handle anymore but i right. I, I loved it right it was great right and they have it down to a science yeah but i think we're used to watching a lot of movies that just it's just waiting for the next jump scare and there's nothing interesting going on and i, I think every horror movie should have a jump scare one at least one. Well, because life has them. I mean, like, there's so many... I mean, for real, like, how many times... Life have, is a jump scare. How many times have you just, like, you know, you're, like, looking at your phone, you go to walk into, like, a public bathroom, and you push open the door, and there's somebody, like, coming out at the same time you're coming, like, oh! yeah. yeah, Like, almost drop your phone, and you get, like, scared for a moment. Sure, it's um, fun. There's no it's a reason. Funny, it's a funny example, but... Like, I do that every time Chris walks into my apartment. Ugh! Well, we did today when the fucking buzzer went That's off. There's a great well, example. Every time the buzzer goes off in my I, apartment is a I jump scare. Visceral terror when that thing went off. I feel like we should record that at the beginning of the spoiler room just to give the listening audience a, a taste of what the buzzer yeah. in my apartment sounds like. Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. It's pretty spooky. Maybe I can find a way to weave it into our sample and weave it into our theme song. Yeah, you oh, need to write okay. a new theme song for the spoiler room with my apartment buzzer in it. Sure, why not? 
Okay, I'll go next. Unless Patrick wants to go next. No, go ahead. All right, I'm also going to give it a view it. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this movie. I found it was very interesting. I think there's a lot of different ways to appreciate this movie. You might just find its depictions of Iranian life in the 80s interesting. You might find the family drama interesting. You might just like the fucking scary shit that shows up in this movie. Uh, it reminded me a lot of The Babadook, which I love. It also reminded me a bit of a dark song which of course we love um, just in kind of the slow boil kind of they're bottled in and the way that the scares kind of came uh, made me think of that movie a couple times. I thought it was very interesting. I don't know what else to say about it. I'll talk more about it in the spoiler room. View it. Patrick. So lots of interesting milestones happening today because it's rare that you're going to screw it, aren't you? No, I'm not going to. I'm not <laughs> okay, going to. Okay. Let me give my fucking rating. It's rare that I'm more negative than you two, and it's also rare that I'm the dissenting voice. Yeah. Like, usually me and Chris are sort of on the same level, or me and Steven are on the same level, but tonight you guys are on the same level. That's and happened I'm, before. I'm not so... Well, it's it's Not it's, in the review, rare. necessarily. I would say yeah, it's in the rare. Not to rehash that, but the, the split here and the way I feel about this movie has reminded me of Cargo. <laughs> because that was a movie that I thought similarly. I like you know I can feel a theme here. I don't yeah. know what it's going for, and I don't like it. Yeah, this is a movie where I feel there's a theme. I don't know what's going for, but I love it. Also, okay, fuck that also, stupid baby. But also rare because in the, usually I'm when I am that dissenting voice. Like when I'm going it alone, I'm usually more positive, and tonight I'm more negative, which yeah. is interesting. So I'm so I'm gonna say cue it and that's just and I, and I hesitate to say that because it's not a knock on the movie it's a it's a good movie good performances nicely made I can't endorse it as a horror movie it didn't spook me that there, there are some good spooky moments later in the film and it just comes so late and I want to compare it briefly to three different movies a dark song freaked me the fuck out way earlier in the movie and just put me at a great sense of dis-ease much earlier yeah um I want to encourage people if you're thinking about watching something along these lines um, that deals with that that is uh, uh, a film set in Iran that deals with some of the politics of Iran. Watch A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I just watched and also has like a slow pace, but has more of the mood that I'm looking for out of a horror film. And the third one is The Babadook, which also just built incredible creepy atmosphere and freaked me the fuck out in addition to the thematic shit that it was doing. So I, I can't I can't criticize this movie in any sense it just it was a little in one ear and out the other it didn't turn the dial it didn't turn the dial that much i'll agree that the first half of this movie at least isn't especially scary there's a lot of generic like creepy kid is seeing something at night what is it oh i'm waking up in the middle of the night what's going on stuff that we've seen a lot of z-grade movies on netflix so Mm -hmm. yeah we you you you're waiting a while for something to happen, which is fine. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But there were some things that fucking terrified me. There were a co- there are a couple of really spooky moments that we should discuss in the spoiler room, probably. Right? I already I already mentioned one of them, but there's one visual in this that like I literally jumped out of my seat slightly. I wanted to look away from the fucking screen at some of this shit. All right, all right. Wow. Let's let's go to the spoiler all room. Right. Wow. All right, go watch the damn movie if you want to everything. or follow us down the stairs to the spoiler room. All 
All right, welcome back to the show. It's me and Patrick down here in the spoiler room, getting ready to spoil everything. Where the fuck is Chris? He's on his way. He had to grab a drink or something. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Every fucking time. Man, that fucking buzzer. We we were telling you guys about the buzzer before, and we weren't fucking kidding. Now here comes fucking Chris. Oh, man. Chris sounds Uh, scary. Jesus, Chris. uh, What is all this fucking change? You the ghost of Christmas past or something? Oh, absolutely. I mean, ghost of Halloween future. Oh, well, welcome. Uh, Thanks for scaring the shit out of us. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. All right, so uh, we're back talking about... Did I miss anything? Did you already spoil it? We didn't spoil anything. All I right. just said we're getting ready to spoil Perfect. everything. Perfect. I'm ready. Okay, so we're back talking about Under the Shadow. Uh, what, what's what's left to cover here, guys? Well, okay. The basic arc of this movie is we told you how it starts. You know, they're in the house. The father's gone off to war. Creepy things escalate. Basically, they just get persecuted by Jin. Everyone else in their apartment building flees town. They're the last ones in the building. You, we reach peak creepy shit, um, and then they, f- oh, man, ah, fuck, I, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. All right, we got kind of a save the cat thing going. There's on There's a here. lot of stuff going on in this movie that we haven't even talked about, like like the doll and all right, that stuff. right. So Dorsa has a doll that she believes has been taken by the djinn. Yes, and she's trying to get her mom to go upstairs to get her. Her mom doesn't believe it, and. That's really kind of what keeps them in the apartment for a while as as uh, uh, Sheeta's mind is unraveling. For a long time. Now, we've, we hear from one of the neighbors that the djinn, what they'll do is they'll take your favorite object. And once they have that, you are djinn bait, baby. <laughs> You will never be. You will never be free of them. That's what the neighbor says. You will never be free. They'll always know how to find you once they have that shit that you love. Well, they make it easy to be found by not leaving the apartment for a considerable length of time. Right. They, at one point, they do try to escape, and then they just end up back um, because. Uh, um, well, they they flee in a panic. I don't even know if they're really trying to escape as much as they flee in a panic. They but. flee in a panic, but Sheeta is not wearing her chador, and so they get they get caught by the by the. Which pilot. we should clarify is like the headscarf. The, the headscarf yeah. with the open face, yeah. or even her robe. She's wearing her like tank top still at this point. She's wearing her Jane Fonda workout wear, which is great for running. Actually, <laughs> it's very. Um, I feel purposeful, perhaps on accident. Um, so anyway, they get caught by the cops, um, and they they wind up in a the police precinct waiting room, and and the the female attendant is like trying to convince the police chief to let him off the hook. And there's a great shot, it's a wide shot of the police chief or whoever he is with his walkie-talkie with this absurdly long flexible antenna, and he's he's wagging it at Sheeta and it's bouncing back and forth and he's telling her you know basically like this is completely inappropriate and disrespectful our men are becoming martyrs for our faith and yes. you would walk out here looking like this and then but then he lets him off the hook and sends him back to the apartment but i lo- i love that moment of just like seeing this like towering man he kind of reminds me of the guy who plays bill tension in mind hunter just like comically wagging this walkie talkie at her as like a power move yeah and then they, and then they wind up back and that's when that's when the search for the doll ensues. so i don't know i guess i'll use that to segue to my main uh dilemma about and I don't really care one way or another, but when I said I wasn't sure if the movie condoned Sheeta's left-wing attitudes, 
I was I was trying to figure out this movie's intentions, and so I said, okay, what's different about these characters at the end of the movie from the beginning of the movie? And that's one of the reasons I restarted it. So, I don't know, what, what would you guys say is the difference in the characters at the end of the movie? I mean, in the end, they do leave voluntarily. They've, they've, uh, uh, Sheeta has, in a, in a very kind of surreal sense, like, confronted the specter of her, her domineering mother, and, is her mother domineering? Am I getting that wrong? I don't know. It's, it's, so she, at the beginning of the movie, really wants to be a doctor. Her husband, who seems more conservative than she is, accuses her of just wanting to please her dead mother. That's true. She's like, you're, oh, because there's a, there's a great line. He says like, um, that was your, that was your mother's dream, not yours. And she said, dead people don't dream. Right. (laughs) I love that. Right. Which sounds like a Bailey school kids book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she, her most prized possession is her like dictionary of medical terminology that her mother got her and is signed to her, and she keeps that in a special locked drawer, even though she throws all her other medical books away at the beginning of the movie. Um, and for the first, for much of the beginning of the movie, she is very upset that she's not going to be a doctor. She's very sensitive about all the persecution she feels from her husband and and other forces in her life that are accusing her of not making herself out to be something. I love this because I think I get it now. I did not know or did not realize that the, the show door at the end of the movie that becomes animated and basically fills the entire basement. It's like the CGI is a little bit wonky, but it's still a really cool effect and a great idea. So the gin Jin takes something that is like very personal to you so that so that they can they always know where you are. They've taken Dorsa's doll and they have taken uh Sheeta's mother's Shodor and Shodor. Well, Shodor no, well they they took the book. We don't know if they took the Well, but it uses it against it, her it, and she has to confront it and I feel like it's a way of her like her having to confront this this like this demon in this form is like her way of like reclaiming like fuck you husband like this was important to my mother and it's important to me and I'm going to take control of my narrative. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious change for me is just her taking agency and getting the fuck out of the house. And, okay. And the, giving the fuck you to everybody. And the gin is like remi- like trying to remind her of like what the what the the husband side on this is and she's like no, like, give me back my mother's garment. You know, it's like something I treasure and I treasure her memory. And I still want to live to, you know, to, uh, to potentially impress her. I mean, especially like the culminating moment of this movie is her just cra- putting the car in reverse and crashing through the garage door that this conservative dipshit who runs the apartment building has been berating her about leaving the door open all movie. Like, I mean, to me, it's very obvious that it's just like, okay, she's finally, like, she's not taking the shit from anybody anymore. She's doing what's right for her and her daughter, and she's getting the fuck out. And we don't know where she's going. The last shot of the movie is kind of ominous, too, but I think it does symbolize a form of escape, of breaking through the proverbial, I mean, not glass ceiling, but I I feel like the image kind of does conjure that. Well, uh, okay. So here's, so if we accept that the djinn is wearing the same 
garb as the mother who we only see in a photograph which is what you guys are telling me and, and i accept that then i can see the you know final climax where they're in the basement and it's just you know it's a sensational poltergeist sort of demon that all you can see is this this you know this billowy garment that billowy. seems to fill the entire basement right it becomes so a jungle of i i can see the ending working and her actually standing up to her mother or her baggage from her mother but the i felt that at the end of this movie she doesn't want to be a doctor anymore and i thought that at the end of the movie the difference is that she is actually now being the loving mother that she was supposed to be and her husband told her to be and everyone else in her life told her to be because at the beginning of the movie she's i don't not, like that at all uh, i don't like that's it. really this is, problematic i this is what you know it problematic or not i we watched this movie again She's not a great mother at the beginning of this movie. No, she's kind of terrible. She's kind of terrible. She's very much preoccupied with her own problems, her own ambitions. And I think at the end of the movie, she's kind of given up those ambitions and she's leaving the house like her husband told her to. She's being a, letting the kid sit in the front seat with her, being a, you know, loving the kid, confessing her love to the kid like she should have been doing the whole movie. So that's why I say I'm not sure the movie really condones her. What are you talking about? The husband told her to leave the house. He did. He's yeah. like, why, the, why are you still there? This bomb's going off. Like yeah. he, he oh, like gives her a warning oh, yeah. that Tehran yes. is going to become and, a major And the husband, target. I think, maybe is also important because he's a doctor. And what's the movie's criticism of him? Does you ever see him saving lives? No. No. He goes off to be a soldier, basically, and fight in this never-ending war that's just causing nothing but pain to everybody. The question is, where is she going at the end of the movie? We don't know. I would. I, who knows? And this is the kind of stuff that bothers me. I don't know if the movie's trying to critique her attitude at the beginning. To me, it says, all right, in extreme circumstances, when there's war, like, there's more important things than trying to climb the social ladder or whatever. Love your kid. Stick with your kid. It's the two of you against the world when the shit's going down. Maybe that's the intention. I Yeah, man. The more we talk about this, the more I do want to watch it again because it, it is so fascinating. A lot of this movie is about, like either suffering the effects of or rejecting the patriarchy so i would like to think that this movie has a feminist that the that the ending has a feminist quality to it i don't know if it does that's not necessarily a bad thing no. because she's not a this is not like a superhero origin story where suddenly she has a magical power at the end of it but i think she has a greater sense of self and that she feels free of some of the bonds that she was carrying with her before right like she's accepted the fact that in this country i can't be a doctor but i can be a good mother there's actually a really cute moment where they uh, she finally finds the doll in a drawer and it's dismembered and the girl sees it and it's like slightly horrifying to see the girl's reaction and the mom immediately quells the girl's fears and says don't worry i'm a doctor and she puts it back together she sews it back together and then the girl is happy so i feel like she realizes that like Whatever qualities could make me a doctor, like I like to save people's lives or to help people or comfort them, like I guess I'm just going to have to exercise those qualities in a different way because I can't do that under this regime. Mm-hmm. And also, well, yeah, and I mean, she's I, to me to me the theme couldn't be more clear. I mean, she's confronting the jinn takes the form of this garment that oppresses her and frustrates her throughout the movie anytime she has to put it on. And specifically, it's the same garment that we see her mom wearing in pictures. We know her mom couldn't realize her dream of being a doctor. So she's literally 
confronting the oppression of her society and the oppression that made her mother's life even more difficult than hers is and seemingly conquering that oppression but in the end there's still the question that it may still be haunting her because the Jin still has the book and it still has the doll yes and so and the oppression is going to haunt her because she can't i mean like like in the in the real world she still can't live her dream she has to adjust her she has to adjust her aspirations to fit the society unless she chooses to move and one of the neighbors does move to to france to stay with her their their child so like that that option is there for her too but that was very well put patrick to me it couldn't be more clear that she that the that the film does sympathize with her the writers do sympathize with her we're meant to sympathize with her but yeah it's it's going to be difficult for her to shake this and not even in like a nightmare on elm street freddie actually is the car closing back over you sort of way <laughs> thank god but there's a deeper thematic resonance to the fact that the final shot of the movie is the book the gin still has the book and it still has the doll that's oh my god like i i guess i was so spellbound by this movie and there's a lot to unpack and it does throw a lot of curveballs and all that information at you i I wondered while watching like why is the book important why are we watching the pages turning i get it now and and i was wondering i think that you're right about with your interpretation quote unquote right i was also wondering though if maybe now that they are their new selves and they are you know free and they're off driving in the car if the book and the doll are that important anymore because the doll throughout the movie is kind of a stand-in for, for a the, parent yeah yeah the, the husband who's the more buttoned down of the two gave her the doll so it could protect her because he had a lack of confidence in the mother and is I is, mean, is her aspiration to become a doctor a, ma- a manner of escape as I well or escapism like because in the end i think it works both ways that like i when i saw the book lying on the ground i thought oh she's left that life behind that's it. I did not put together like, oh, the gin, the theoretical gin that I don't know if it exists or not, but it seems to for her is still holding on to that. And like that is going to it's going to haunt her. I mean, it is ambiguous, right? Like we never see the gin again, but I feel like there has to be some significance that I'm pretty sure the last I mean, I know the final shot of the movie is the book. We see the book again, and I'm pretty sure the second to last shot is seeing the doll again. Yes. And I don't know why else we would go back to that other than to drive home the fact that hey, you know, you, you didn't defeat the djinn. The djinn still has your shit. But we I, I also see important. the final, the absolute final shot is the camera panning up to the hole in the roof. Yes. Right? So is are we to... And I think there it is kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, oh, we've escaped. However, the djinn is going to slip through this hole and follow us and confront us again at some at some point in time with this struggle, you know, elements of the mm-hmm. struggle that we've had. We're going to carry this through us for the rest of our lives. It's not going to be an easy road for either of them, especially our heroine. She she's had to deal with the fact that like, okay, she's finally accepted, I can't be a doctor. So what do I do? Who knows? Does she leave the country? Do we know that she's accepted that, though? I, I don't know. You I guys think have the, referenced this, and I'm not sure no, I'm saying anything I think, that specifically clued me into her having accepted not being able to do that. I, I think I, I think just those visuals are meant to communicate that that's what we're supposed to believe about her. Mm. That she's she's left the book behind. It's not important. Yeah, I don't know. All, the, all these objects are functioning, I think, at so many different levels, yeah. both textually and thematically. That it's it's I'm a little frustrated just because I can't really make sense of it. Everything you're saying to me, Patrick, makes sense. 
I also think you can also read it so it's the those things aren't left behind in an ominous way. They're just left behind in a we're moving on with our lives. We no longer need the one last remaining vestige of my medical career. And we also don't need the pseudo parent stand in. You know, we're leaving that behind. To me, though, the, the book, I mean, she didn't need that book to become a doctor. No, but it's symbolic. But, yeah, it, it, the books I think clearly symbolizes her that ambition, especially because the the and it you know, came from her mother. Especially because right? the signed inscription in the front is her yeah. mother saying, or you could say it represents her mother's expectations of her. I don't know which her, that is actually the same thing. I th- I think, and again, I'd have to watch it again. Um, but like the I, this has been on my mind for the last like fifteen minutes or so. Like I think that she's. Because there, there's like a very, a couple of very loaded confrontations with her husband where he says some really, truly awful stuff to her. But I think some of it's kind of true, or at least it's stuff that she hasn't processed. Like, I think she's holding on to her mother's memory in a way that is possibly unhealthy. And yes. I think she, again, she's very liberal. Her mother, at least from the little bit that we see of her, seems to be, seems to have been kind of conservative, but had had a hope of becoming something more and then she's trying to take it a step further this is kind of how it happens with generations especially generations that are steeped in sort of uh religious devotion or fanaticism it's like you 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 kind of take baby steps and the next generation is going to get a little bit further i think she's still wrestling with like whether or not this is really her dream or if it's symbolic to her that she should you know become liberal but also live out the you know the dream that her mother had that who and wasn't able to realize. Hmm. I wonder if that's in there if I watch it again. I don't I I don't think it's clear for sure, but it might be intentionally unclear. And there may be an interview with the director where he says this is exactly what I meant. Which I I would not be interested in that actually. Right. I don't like those sorts of easy answers because what I love about this kind of movie and one of the reasons I gave it a view it is because there is so much open to interpretation and I feel in intentionally so if not i'll be very disappointed but we've had a pretty wide-ranging discussion with three pretty different viewpoints on this movie and i think there's something valid in each of those interpretations i mean i i have to say i came into this episode going and we say this sometimes before we start an episode we'll be like i don't know what we have to say about this movie and then we end up talking for a fucking hour or whatever anyways and this was kind of one of those where for me you know like i said in my review i i I enjoyed it i didn't i didn't dislike anything about it it was just kind of in one ear out the other and i did not expect to have this rich of a discussion about it and i think it's been a great discussion I think so, too. And something I want to bring up that I feel is kind of inescapable because I invoked the Babadook earlier is let's compare the ending of this movie to the ending of the Babadook. Or maybe not compare, but let's at least consider. Because I do feel like the final act of both of these films are very similar. The yes. Babadook is more cartoonish. But the Babadook has a pretty complicated ending as well. There are multiple implications of how that film ends and what it means for the characters, and it's left up for you, to the viewer, to decide were the fantastical elements real or does it even matter? What's more important is what do the experiences that we saw these two characters go through, what do those mean for their future? And we simply don't know. We yeah. get a very brief glimpse into... I mean, the end of the Babadook, right, they've got the the, the creature in the shed... And they have to they have to feed it, and it's like this thing. It's like 
it's always going to be there, but they can manage it. They can manage it, but it's but yeah, it's always going to be there. And I, and I feel like that's what the that's, end of this movie. Yeah. That's what that's where the gin lies at the end of this movie. Yeah, it's going to come back to haunt them, but they've defeated it once. They can manage it. You know, they're 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 moving forward regardless. Yeah, yeah. it's a good comparison. It's a good comparison. This movie has like there's a lot more loaded into the end of this movie again because of especially these objects. Like I'm amazed at the the weight that that these uh, these very simple objects have. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I when the, when she opens the drawer and the doll's been cut up, I was horrified. Mm-hmm. It was like I it was like I saw the girl cut up. Really? Yeah. I wasn't and horrified, then the but saying, I was like, you killed her. You killed her. And again, if we're talking about whether or not there's gin in this movie, I don't know. And even the mom says at the end, she doesn't know if she cut up the doll herself yeah. or not. Because that possibility is thrown out. And she's like, yeah. oh, I don't know. maybe the gin is, maybe they're all just going fucking crazy and doing crazy shit. I don't know. On that note, another detail I liked is early on in the movie, you see that Sheeta, especially when she's upset about something, becomes very orderly when she's fighting with her husband she's like she she sorts all the glasses in the cabinet yeah like ascending order of heights and puts all doris's toys back puts all the the toys away while they're arguing and then the the movie she just tears it all down and then she's arguing with her well yeah exactly when she's arguing with her husband again even though she just did the the glasses she opens the cabinet, takes the glasses back out, and starts sorting them again on the counter and putting them back in, mm. even though it's already been done. Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's her that. tick. She's very orderly. And then, of course, yeah, as the movie goes on and everyone's getting more frantic, she just she basically tears the place apart from floor to ceiling. Very upsetting. I really like um, the uh, the oddly satisfying subreddit of just, like, you know, pencils being made and, like, things fitting together perfectly. Yeah. And this movie, the last, like third of it is the opposite of that it's like watching this very orderly house being like very upsettingly trashed i just did not have the visceral reactions to this that you guys did other than to the ghost shador like running around that was a spooky visual and the first time i saw it i was like wait what the fuck i, I literally ran it back because i sort of doubted what i had just seen mm-hmm. i was like okay that's that's cool i mean it's cg and it's not the best cg but it's it's a unique visual that stuck with me and spooked me. I yeah, that I loved, and I'm glad you appreciated that. And it's not great CG, but the concept is so great. The emotional impact of that scene is so great. And now after this discussion, I feel like I would feel even more so. I mean, guys, you know what they really should have done? India's not that far away. They should have called Jay. Oh, Jay would have come and solved everything immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most most horrifying image in this movie for me was the perversion of the painting that she sees in the landlord's apartments. I don't remember with the, the So she goes up to her landlord's apartment, talks to the landlord's wife, and they are maybe the mo- more conservative family in the... Oh, most. In the oh, yeah. Yes. And then there's a... Oh, man, I hated that woman. That woman was so, like... Well, we, we don't hate any women snide. on this podcast. She was snide and, like, so bitchy. That character was a real handful. Well, she's in the landlord's conservative home talking to the wife. And she looks over on the wall and she sees this painting. Can, can you show that to us? Yes, I because I... And so this... I was so curious. I was like, the key to this movie may be 
what the hell is this painting? So it's I like took, Midsommar where the, the painting in the beginning tells you everything that's going to happen. Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, okay. um, that painting. So I took a picture of it with my phone. Wait, can you bring that closer? I don't remember that at all. She looks over. It's just for a beat during their conversation. Creepy, though. And she looks at it. And I said, what is this painting? So I took a picture of it on my phone and, and Google image searched it and was able to find out what that painting is. That's a recreation of a painting by Joshua Reynolds, who was a 18th century English painter. And it's of the biblical figure Samuel. And that was the first thing that made me curious because you can tell it's a European paint style painting of yeah. a biblical figure of some sort. And so I thought maybe it was a indication that like the landlord's family are maybe closet Christians or something. Maybe that's why they were showing that to us. But then later on during the horror section of this movie, she goes into the room that's been bombed out and there's a child. It may even be her own child or a vision of her own child, but looking very much like this Samuel praying with a ghastly, horrifying look on the face, looking up to the hole where the bomb came through. Wait, so the painting doesn't change, but you're saying somebody is sitting in this same praying position. There is a callback. There's yeah, a, a oh my god, you're so right. I remember the callback, painting. but not the painting. And I yeah. remember being very haunted by that little bit. And Horrifying. Who, and who is it that's in that possession? Is it Dorsa or someone else? I don't know. I maybe oh. Dorsa. I think it's Dorsa, yeah. But and it's really yeah, it's really spooky looking. So I've been trying to figure out why Samuel is important and he's in the Bible and he's also in the Quran and I I am just not enough of a he's theologian. He's in the Bible and the Quran? What a real crossover <laughs> success story. <laughs> There's a lot of biblical figures that appear across all the Abrahamic as I say it, Abrahamic religions. Good enough for me. Um, there is a verse. In the Abraham cinematic universe. There is a verse in the Quran involving Samuel that mentions fighting in the way of God and being driven from their homes and taken from their children and stuff. Stuff that seems very appropriate to the themes of this movie. I don't know. I can't figure it out. So I'm just going to throw it out there and maybe one of our listeners will know. Because I sure as fuck don't. But it's fascinating. How does the story of Samuel relate to this movie? Whether it's a Christian or an Islam interpretation. And what does the ghoulish inversion of that painting mean to the themes of this movie? Listeners, if you know anything about this, send us an email. Uh, Don't. You you can comment comment on our social media. Hashtag, what's up with Samuel? we, We often invite you to troll us, but like... Please don't troll us about this topic. Yeah, keep it real. <laughs> Be serious. Like Be serious. this is we we I need we citations, need straight footnotes. I want to say Joseph something. Campbell if you're out there. <laughs> drop us a line. So, I wonder if there's not a whole other set of layers about this movie that I'm missing out on for knowing nothing about the Iran Iraq war. Could be. I wonder if some of the imagery is like if you went through that, if you lived in Iran, or Iraq, you would be like, oh, well, obviously this whole thread is like a reference to that crazy thing that happened. There's a lot of American movies you would not be able to parse if you didn't know everything about 9-11. Yeah, yeah, and that's a a fun thing. Like, I try to be aware of my own biases as much as possible, and like, I cannot watch an American-made movie without without at some point during it thinking, if I was from Japan... 
and I was watching this movie or anywhere, like this would make no sense to me, which has given me more patience in watching foreign films in general. Yeah. Like thinking like, all right, I'm just going to try and like figure out what this is and do the research and like trying to get as close to an approximation of appreciating it, like from its native origin as possible but this this is a movie where like i don't know it's it seems so rich in like thematic detail in like mise-en-scene in symbolism that there's probably a ton of shit that would just go over mm-hmm. my head there's something there and it's 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 deliberate because actually the first thing i found when i google image that painting was that the painting was commissioned specifically for this movie to match that historical painting so they actually had a replica painting commissioned to put on the wall so that's important so it's important that was a choice it's a choice and then that comes back later you know not to put too fine a point on this or to bring things back around to something we discussed earlier but another spooky thing i watched recently was room 237 the rodney asher film director oh you think we're going off the rails right now (laughs) oh hold on i'm getting to my point director of the nightmare uh who made the movie about the shining and the various outlandish fan theories about it and my point is uh i think you're going off the rails here <laughs> i don't think we're we're talking about the facts and i think this movie is was very intentionally made we'll see well we're gonna find an interview and the guy's gonna be like just a ghost story man we I, you know what you know what <laughs> one final detail that i learned in my minimal research i did the actress who plays Sheeta grew up in iran during the Iran-Iraq war. Oh, wow. And hid from missile strikes with her mother in the basement of their building. Wow. There's a lot of, man, they're like the re one thing that I feel like anybody watching this movie, if you take one thing away from it and you don't like that, it's a slow burn, then it's, you're expecting a horror movie and it takes a while to become one, or you don't even think it is when it does just the, the day-to-day reality of the bombs dropping and the frequent sort of, we get frequent sort of like act breaks where we see uh, Sheeta and her daughter and like, there's a neighbor that's like very, she's the one who ends up moving to France, who yeah. seems very, very just sort of like a kindly knowledgeable older woman just sitting on like the dirt floor of the basement, just chatting. You know, yeah. the alarms go off and they just sit down there and chat and they don't really fret about anything. They just know that it's, it's like a fire drill yeah. almost for them. It's so normal. Yeah. And like that is chilling in and of itself. I kept thinking like, my God, I feel like these characters are in more danger than they realize. And I'm waiting for this movie to drop that on them. And it's the horrifying thing is that's how millions of people are living around the world. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've, man, what a great conversation for an hour and 24 minute movie. So much more we could talk about. I but could go on. I feel like we've talked for more than an hour and 24 minutes, potentially. We possibly oh, yeah. have. And I could go on for another half hour. But so what the fuck are we watching next? What are we watching next? Chris? All right. Well, we've all got our chance to pick a movie. So, of course, we're going to defer to the Wheel of Death. Is that, our, is that our new format? So we're each picking a movie and then the Wheel of Death picks a movie for us every fourth episode yeah right? that, that way that Wheel of way death is basically the uh, the silent partner of the show <laughs> it is the symbol of random chance and chaos it's it's the joker it's the of joker. the show it's the joker of our show <laughs> so um netflix for this halloween season has introduced a new spooky category season. spooky season has spooky introduced season. a new category called netflix and chills see what they did there Oh. And so, so like mul- multiple 
sessions of sex while you're watching these films. Yeah, and I really don't know the intention of this category. I it seems to be a semi curated selection of accessible horror stuff. If you want to see something scary on Netflix, you can go to this category and not have to do like, the work. Because, like, Scream but... 2 is on the list. Yeah. Against well, a bunch of, like, original movies. Oh, so it's not... so. Th- oh, so my assumption was that this was all original movies that they were releasing, specifically this Halloween season for this section, but it, No, not, there's not a handful, the summer movies that are new to Netflix, and then there's Scream 2. I don't know what that is. Oh, and then there's yeah. one about prank. There's, like a, prank there's a potpourri. Thing. One of the movies of interest to our listeners, maybe, is a sequel to A Haunting at Silver Falls. What? Which, which wow. is very new. Is a it called haunt- A Haunting at Silver Falls? A Haunting Falls at Silver Falls, The Return. Wow. Holy fucking Holy shit. Holy fucking shit. Is, Guys, can is we that on the wheel of death? Can it's we just not? Oh, oh, when does it come We out? could edit. It's out now. No, that's okay. No, put it on there. All right, we're going to put it on there. So right now we are loading. We have our... Um, going to kill you, Steven. Right Sorry. now there are going to be three Netflix original movies in the Netflix and Chills category uh, before we do our next episode. They are In the Shadow of the Moon, which heard, is... Oh, man. Like he's tracking a serial killer or something. I heard it's pretty bad. Fractured, which is Sam Worthington in a hospital that may be up to no good, something like that. And then in the tall grass, which Steven knows more about. I than didn't know I in did. the shadow of the moon was in this category as well. These are all movies that like have recently gotten festival reviews from like TIFF or Beyond Fest, and they all sound like they sound very divisive, which means I would I wouldn't mind watching any one of them, if not all three. I'm sure we're going to have some pretty interesting discussions. All right, so we got four potential movies on the wheel, all from the new Netflix and Chills category. We're going to spin the old wheel and see what the hell we're watching. Wait, so what are the four selections? Fractured in the Tall Grass, in the Shadow of the Moon, and what's the other one? A Haunting at Silver Falls, The Return. Oh, okay, right, right, right. I just put it back on there. All right, let's give this thing a crank. I'm going to regret that I know it. Oh, I can't wait to watch oh, it. Oh, my God. Giving it a crank. It's going. It's going to be Haunting at Silver Falls. I hope too. so. Oh, oh! It's actually the one I wanted to see. Oh, in the shadow of the moon. Oh no, that's not the one I wanted. Oh, you to wanted see. in the tall grass, but I wanted to see it more. Yeah, I wanted to see a tall grass. You wanted to get okay. into something in the shadow of the yeah. moon. Great. Okay, well, I'm still gonna watch Fractured and In the Tall Grass. We're just well, well, maybe I'll talk about them on the show. Watch I'll, them. I'll probably sure. watch some of them. Yeah, sure. All right, well, guys, it's been a great discussion. We've had a lot of fun as usual. Follow us on on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are. You need to do this, Patrick. Amon Cast, E H M O N Cast. I'm, I'm not much of comment, a comment, like, follow. Go on iTunes, leave us a little fucking review. Yeah, leave us a review. Some of you have been leaving reviews. Just know that it's noticed and appreciated. And you they've know what? been and they've been beautiful. Thank you for those reviews. Yeah. Like yeah. some of you have left things that touched me way more than I anticipated. I'm I forget because like, I'm so like people disengage- listen and they like this. I'm so disengaged from social media that I don't realize that people actually listen to this show. We've gotten some beautiful fan art messages, questions through Facebook. Oh yeah, fan art. We want more fan art. And you know what? I'm really curious to hear people's takes on this movie and what all this shit means. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, we're still getting mail about um, Baskin and all the symbolism in that movie oh, yeah. right? oh shit so, I need to engage well, with this stuff more but you know what reach out to us because it does mean a lot and we will respond we we don't you know, I mean we have lives but we don't have lives <laughs> well we, we might not respond but we'll at least read your comments on we'll the show. respond eventually maybe <laughs> I mean we, we I'll, I'll I, pick up the slack I, I really enjoyed all the the thoughts that people had on The Perfection which was such a divisive movie for us and, and people had such interesting and diverse opinions on them on that movie i really enjoyed reading those so if you see under the shadow tell us what you thought 
Yeah, well, happy start of the spooky season. We'll see you in two weeks. For some Netflix and chills. Mm-hmm. For every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Steven. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. Bye. Bye.